Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Julia Buonagulio. Julia is an experienced educator with a strong background in primary, secondary education and SAD, ACD preparation. She brings expertise in science education and curriculum development to our teaching roles. Julia also serves as the director of all student experiential programming at the high school level, overseeing various activities such as holiday programming, yearbook clubs, volunteer trips, and weekend retreats throughout the school year. With a Master of Arts in Teaching from the University of Pittsburgh and a Master of Science focused on nutrition education from American University, Julia is a dedicated and knowledgeable professional in the field of education. Hi, Julia. Good evening. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out for this. Of course. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, Julia. Julia, so I was going through your LinkedIn profile uh, before, you know, that's what I usually do before starting a podcast to get as much information as possible. I know that right now you're working full-time uh, in a school and you also own uh, multiple positions. But that aside, uh, did you want to be a teacher all along? Is that what you planned for? Um, that is not at all what I planned for, actually. Um, I started out going to university, uh, the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, um, not really having any idea what I wanted to do, only knowing that I really loved science. Um, so I kind of just started off on that path, um, pursuing a degree in biology um, and chemistry. And about two and a half years into college, I started working at an after-school program for high school kids in the area. Um, and I really had a great time, like such a great experience doing that. And I was like, huh, well, maybe I'll be a teacher. I'll be a science teacher. That sounds like a great idea. Um, so I went to my like academic advisor at school. Um, and actually, the first thing that they said to me was that I was too smart to be a teacher um, and that I should consider something else. Right. Um, but that didn't stop me. So, um, I ended up finishing my degree, uh, in, I have a degree in biology and psychology and a minor in chemistry. And then I headed to graduate school for education and went through a master's degree program for secondary education. And then that's what led me to where I am today. Great. Uh, Julia, you said... Uh, your experience during the after-school program where you help students, kind of, uh, that's what uh, was the first time that you thought you could be a teacher, right? You enjoyed that experience. What about it was so enjoyable for you? Um, so I was working mostly like one-on-one -on -one with kids in the after-school program, kind of helping them with homework and things like that. And so many times I was just met with kids that came in not understanding something and left understanding something. And it was just the best experience ever to like watch them find success and be happy and be like, oh, I can do this. And that feeling that I got from that was just the best. Got it. And uh, you said, uh, you know, you're too smart to be a teacher. Uh, so what followed after that? 
was it uh, what was it like you've done a lot of things after that uh, was the teacher thing in the back of your head or how did that pan out so yeah it was it was like a weird conversation to have i, I come from a family of medical professionals so both my parents are doctors my older brother is a doctor and I was a little bit worried that that is what they kind of assumed I would be because I also love science. Um, and I was completely wrong. They were totally supportive of it. Um, my grandmother was actually an English teacher. And so she was super excited about it. And from there, it just became figuring out, like, how do I get from where I am now to where I want to be? And that was like finding the best fit of a master's program. I think. I always thought it was super important to have a degree in what I wanted to teach. Um, so that way I knew what I was teaching really well. And then have someone teach me how to become a teacher. Got it, Julia. Julia, um, now, when people become teachers, right? Uh, I've spoken to people, you know, who've become teachers by accident uh, and who've gone on to enjoy uh, teaching. And I've met people who've sort of planned a little better, you know, while becoming a teacher. Now, I'd like to ask you this question, right? Because you say that you're, you you come from a family, your parents are doctors, your older brother is a doctor too. And uh, that's a, a decent amount of money, if not a lot of money. And teaching is not known for a lot of money, right? And I understand when you hustle and when you become a teacher, when you set up a business, but when you consciously choose the path of teaching, uh, does the thought of money uh, come in? And uh, if it did, uh, uh, you know, does it help that you are clear that you want to become a teacher so that you can chart out a path that can probably help you take not as much as what doctors do, but at least in the world of teaching, you're not that, uh, you know, you're at least in the top 1%. For sure. I mean, you know, I would be lying if I said I didn't think about making money. I mean, teachers don't make a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and that was definitely in the back of my mind. But like knowing that to me, a fulfilled life was a little bit more important. And also knowing that I would put myself in the best position possible to make as much money as I could doing what I'm doing. So, you know, that meant finding states that tend to pay their teachers more. Um, that meant getting additional degrees. I ended up going back and getting a second master's degree because a lot of school districts will pay more for additional education. That meant kind of like putting myself in the best position possible to be able to earn, you know, a livable wage doing something that I love doing. Great stuff, Julia. Julia, thank you for sharing this because, you know, uh, you must have done a lot of research, especially after you decided that, okay, you know what, I want to be a teacher, but might as well plan it out better. So while you did your research, uh, uh, if somebody is listening from the US, right, and if they want to be a teacher, what's the what are the things that they have to kind of, you know, they can do right so that they end up in a place where money isn't really a problem as a teacher? For sure. So like first things first is, you know, I would highly recommend getting a master's degree, it's going to put you in a much better position. Um, I got pretty lucky in that most of my master's degree was paid for because of my grades in undergrad. So I had scholarships for it. Um, and then really figuring out 
in what part of the country you want to be in because it varies greatly how much money you can make in different parts of the country. Um, and then from that, you also have to decide what kind of school system you're going to work in. And certain ones pay more or less depending on what they require. Are you going to go to a public school or a charter school or a private school? Um, and then, you know, in that area that you want to be in, locating the type of school that will get you. Because if it is something like a public school or a charter school, salaries are public record and you can look them up. Um, so I could look up any public school in Pennsylvania and see if I have this much experience and this many years of education, this is how much money I should be making. So all of that is like public information that you can use to research. Great stuff. And uh, you said a couple of things, uh, right? You, I mean, as factors uh, to decide uh, you know, what you have to do. One is the location in the U.S. So uh, talking about it, is is the region where you're located right now one of the highest paying uh, school uh, states? Uh, sorry, yeah, school I, regions? Yeah, I live basically in the northeast U.S. I live in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, right. Pennsylvania is known for having a great, you know, education system and paying their teachers generally well. Um, right. you know, there's a couple other areas too, that that's the case in Michigan and things like that. There are certain States, you know, Arizona, for example, has a pretty low teacher salary. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm lucky to, I've spent most of my life on the East coast. And so that I didn't have to move across the country to become a teacher. Um, right. but some people, if that's important, then, you know, moving, I guess towards the northeastern part of the U.S. is generally where it's a little bit higher salary. Got it, Julia. And uh, when it comes to the different types of schools that you said, right, public, private, or charter, or whatever that there is more, uh, which one, what type of school pays the best? I'd say that totally depends a little bit. I've actually worked in all three. I've worked in a public school, oh, wow. I've okay. worked in a charter school, and a private school. Um, and so it, it depends a little bit on what kind of teacher you are and almost like what you're willing to put into it. So in general, the longer you've been teaching, a public school will pay you more money because they increase your pay every year of experience that you have. Um, and that might not be the case for a public school or a charter school. Um, that being said, working in a private school you also have opportunities to grow and take on different positions that you might not have in a public school that could allow you to earn more money. Julia, please correct me if I'm wrong. Did you say public school is the place where they increase your salary every year based on your experience? Yes. Uh, okay, yeah. It just came out the other way, I guess. That's why I kind of had to ask you again. Now, uh, Got it. I got to know the difference between these three types of schools when it comes to money. But uh, you also said that in private school, you can take up a lot of other positions or you can have your own business, which you cannot do while you're at the public, public school. Is that right? Yes. Uh, okay. And uh, now when somebody chooses to teach, right, uh, it's not all about money. Money is there, but, you know, uh, but it's more to do with uh, their interest you know, they really want to teach and stuff like that. So as a teacher who's passionate about uh, what they do, which atmosphere suited you the best? Was it the public school? Was, was it the private or the charter? Um, 
I think the private school suits me best for where I am now um, because it gives me a lot of freedom in the way that I teach and what I teach. Um, I became a teacher because I love teaching science. I love everything about it. And, you know, in a public school, um, a lot of the curriculum is kind of given to you and you have to hit certain standards and you have to teach certain ways and have to take a standardized test. And while I understand the idea behind it, the ability to kind of craft a curriculum the way that I see science and the evolution of science, that's been something I am so appreciative of that my private school let me do. I, I totally threw out the textbook and just went from square one and it's allowed me and my students to have like such a great science learning um, experience. So I really appreciate that. I would say though, as a brand new teacher, my very first year teaching, I was in a public school and having that structure and curriculum was very helpful at the start because I didn't totally know what I was doing. So it really kind of has transitioned over time with me. Totally. I, I think that experience in public school gives you a perspective of, you know, kind of what is wrong or what can be different. So great. So Julia, uh, you also uh, are, you know, tutoring uh, after your school hours. So how did that start off? Um, so it's actually an interesting story. Um, back in... November, uh, November, December of 2017, I actually had a position at a school and I was extremely unhappy um, with the school. Um, it led me to like a very poor mental health state. Um, and I ended up leaving the position in the middle of the school year because it just wasn't, it was not there for me. And trying to find a job in the middle of the school year is not super easy. And so I was looking for other things that I could be doing, you know, until the next school year started. Um, and that landed me on the door of um, Huntington Learning, which is both tutoring and a test prep company um, around, you know, this part of the U.S. And so I started working there Um part-time to make some money while I tried to figure out what it was I wanted to do. And turns out I really enjoyed test prep also. Um, I had really great experience there. I learned so many things and also um, met some amazing other teachers and amazing students. And so from there, I worked there basically up until the next school year started. And then even through the next school year, I started, you know, kept kind of working there um, part-time through that. Um, after a while, it was a bit of a long commute from where I lived. So it be kind of became a little bit of a challenge to keep that up. And so I left there and then just started, you know, on my own doing prep and tutoring for kids. Julia, as much as we uh, talk about teaching not be as lucrative, uh, as other things, you think, do you think uh, teaching is one of those professions that gives you an amazing flexible and uh, almost an instant way to uh, earn money by, you know, teaching privately and doing private tutoring, right? Like, like you just said, you just left your uh, teaching thing in a school in the middle, but still, I don't think, did you find it very difficult financially or did this just help you? 
Um, uh, so I will say when I was working for another company, it was not as lucrative of a position because when you work for a company, you know, they find all the students for you. They do all the scheduling for you. They do all of that, which means, you know, you're not taking home as much money, but you also don't have to do all that work. So that was, you know, definitely not equivalent to a full-time position, um, right. notably because the program also really only worked for after school hours. So you couldn't, you know, work as many hours as probably you would want to. Once you are kind of out on your own and have the ability and flexibility to do all of that, it can become very lucrative, um, you know, especially depending on how much time and effort you're going to give to it. For me, it has been an excellent way to kind of supplement my income to allow me to do the kinds of things that I want to do in my life. Got it, Julia. Julia, you said you worked for the, you know, the Huntington, and then you know, uh, because of the commute and stuff, you started on your own. Now, by the time you started on your own, uh, did you find another full-time job teaching, or uh, did you find your job after you started your own tutoring business? Um, at that point, I had started a full-time job. So even when I started on my own, I did have a full-time job. That job wasn't as demanding as kind of the position that I have now. So it gave me s some additional time and maneuvering to kind of build that up while I was, you know, starting in that full-time position. Go to Julia. Uh, now, you know, talking about when you started off on your own, right? Uh, what was that experience like uh, from a from an entrepreneur point of view? Now, so far, you kind of built up your teaching experience and stuff. Now, that's sorted. But from a business point of view, finding students, all that you said that the other company did for you, when you had to do it for yourself, what was your experience and how did you solve all the problems? Uh, it was very scary. I mean, I should say a little less scary just because I knew I wasn't solely dependent on that income. So, you know, it did kind of alleviate some of the time pressure. I didn't feel so strapped to be able to have to do those things. Um, but it really happened a bit organically when I met a coworker at my school who had also done test prep. And she, we didn't know each other very well, but she heard through the grapevine that I did test prep. And she actually came to me and was like, hey, I do the English test prep. I heard you do the math and science test prep. We should get together. <laughs> and so once the two of us kind of teamed up, we were like, oh, wow, we're kind of like a whole package. You know, I have the expertise in the math and the science, depending on what test they're taking. You have the expertise in the English, you know, which is not my forte. Like we should, you know, market this as a package deal. Um, and go from there. And so that's kind of what we did. We made a flyer, you know, we had to ask permission from the school that we could share it with people and families. And they, they didn't have a problem with that because our school didn't offer a program. And so, you know, we were allowed to do that. So we, you know, it was a little bit challenging. We we're like, how much money do we charge? You know, how many hours? So it was a lot of planning sessions with this teacher to kind of come up with, we think it should be, you know, six weeks, you know, two hours each session. We're going to hold them on Sundays and you're going to meet with these kids. And then we kind of like came through a game plan 
And then, you know, the finances came from like, okay, well, about how much do we want to charge per hour? How many kids can we hold? So there was way more decisions that had to be made than I ever anticipated. Um, but it certainly helped to have her as a buffer to try to, you know, bounce ideas off of and work together for it. Got it, Julia. Julia, um, you know, going back to the time uh, when you decided that you want to be a teacher and then, you know, you did a lot of programs, right? And you also do your master's. Um, now, was there a program that you did specifically to qualify as a teacher? Um, to be like a general teacher? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So, so my first master's degree is in education and then through that program, we have to complete a certain number of hours and then take several different, I think there's like three or four different exams that to pass to then be uh, certified in a certain state. So I was originally certified in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I've moved since into different states. And when you move, you also have to take tests in the other state to kind of move your licensure. Um, so I took those and kind of have moved it back and forth as I move. Got it, Julia. The reason I asked you this question was, now there are teachers, um, you know, some of them who do this master's in education that you did, and there are teachers who don't. Do you think it makes a difference, apart from your certification to teach in public schools and schools, apart from that, do you think it makes a difference as a teacher? Um, I think it made, at least for me, a complete world of difference. Um. I think it's very dependent on the program that you choose to attend. Um, yeah. The one that I went to was probably the most intense year of my life. Um, we would, you know, we were placed in an actual school system and with a mentor teacher. And pretty much from like six weeks into the school year, like we were taking over their classes and teaching them and lesson planning. And then all that during the day. And then we would go back to the college at night and take graduate courses afterwards and then go home and try to plan for the next day. Um, and it was a super intense year, but it for sure made me the best first year teacher ever. I met so many other first year teachers my first year and they were like swimming without life jackets. And I felt like, okay, I got this. Like I'm I'm okay. Um it was really I think instrumental in my success as a teacher. Um it was really a great program. Got it, Julia. Julia, uh you said uh you met other teachers in the first year who were like, you know, like not sorted. And uh, to be a teacher in a schooling system, you said that, you know, you have to kind of do certain programs, right, to certify and all that. Uh, so those teachers didn't do that one year of program that you did? Did they have a choice? What, what was no, it? No. Yeah. So it, it totally depends what different states and people require and do. And, you know, right. I kind of wish it was a little bit more uniform. I think it would make more people successful. But it's not super uniformed, you know, I think, and there's even instances where a person that has no teaching experience whatsoever can apply for, you know, an emergency teaching certificate and basically like get certified on the job as they go. Um, and so, you know, there's 
pros and cons to that. If you're in the need of a teacher, you know, it could be a great safety net, but definitely those teachers don't tend to be super prepared for what they're walking into. Got it. Got it, Julia. Julia, um, today as a teacher, it's one thing to know your subjects and teach, but then there's so much more to teaching and facing students because there's so much uh, there. Like, for example, there are students who've got, uh, you know, learning disabilities. Uh, of course, you know, if it's a serious one, there are different schooling systems. But even in normal schooling systems, some students happen to have a certain amount of disability learning. And then there's a whole other personal thing that comes with the students, right? Do you think... Um, uh, are you as teachers trained when you do all these programs? Are these taken into consideration? Or are these some things that you need to kind of, you know, do it on your own, get prepared for all of these things? So how's that? Um, I think it's a little combination of both. For sure, the program that I attended had courses on how to help students with certain learning, you know, differences, things like that, especially common ones, you know, students that might have ADHD or, you know, other things that could affect their attention or other things that can affect their processing, dysgraphia, things like that. So we for sure were exposed to that. Um, but there are new things that we learn about all the time and how students, you know, might perceive things differently, interact things, learn differently. And, you know, as you know, I've been a teacher for 10 years. And so I constantly am learning and growing with the kids and trying to learn how those things function. I had a great basis, but, you know, it also depends on your demographic and where you are. You know, at, at a school I used to work at, you know, five years ago, we had a huge population of students who English was their second language. And I didn't have a ton of training in it. And so I went through training courses, you know, um, on my own, the school helped locate them, but, you know, to try to learn how to best help students where English wasn't their, you know, primary language. And, you know, as we learn new things about students, I learn new things also. And I go to trainings all the time to, you know, up my game so that I can be the best help for them to learn. Right. Got it, Julia. Julia, you've been teaching for 10 years. Uh, before you got into teaching, you kind of gave a roadmap or a career path as you know, or not a career path, like a path uh, in doing the education, like what courses to do and how do you get yourself to be in the best position uh, so that, you know, you're doing a decent amount of money. Now that you've been in the teaching system for 10 years, right, you said it's a continuous learning process. Now for you to get, keep getting better and not, you know, get left behind um, so that throughout your career, you are placed well. What are the things that you come to, you know, figure out, oh, it doesn't end with that education that I did before getting into teaching. There is so much of training. Are there more certifications? How do you keep yourself you know, right there for the best things? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, a, you know, you got to keep your hand on the pulse. I think that was most truly evident, you know, three years ago when the world shut down and we all had to become online teaching experts in a matter of days. Um, you know, I fully credit my school in doing an amazing job transitioning us into online learning. They were with it. They did everything they could to make it such a great experience for kids. They helped kids get internet who couldn't have internet and computers and 
they taught us all how to use Zoom and we had trainings. Like they were amazing, but it still meant me learning how to teach over a computer screen, which was wild. And I'm pretty tech savvy. And so it was quite an adjustment. And then even when we did go back into school, it kind of made us realize like what an impact technology was going to have in the classroom. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, I got to get it together and figure out now what I need to learn as the next step. And so from there, I was like, well, you know, going to get Google education certified and went through like both levels of Google education certification. I, you know, I was like, oh, well, got to figure out how to do math online. So, you know, went to, you know, an ISTE conference to try to learn about that. And so every time something new happens, I'm up, you know, in the internet reading and trying to figure out where can I learn more about this? Where can I do this? You know, this past year, um, I, or this current year, I'm teaching two AP courses. Um, one, which I have taught before about five years ago, AP biology, and then a new one, AP statistics, which I've never taught before. So the summer I spent two weeks at AP institutes, you know, learning best practices for how to make those students, you know, the most successful they could. And so it's really, uh, I wish I could say that, you know, the school just tells you everything that you should do, but it's it's a little bit on you. You know, you have to, just like any person in any profession would want to be up to date with the latest happenings, the same thing happens in education and you got to look for those opportunities. Luckily, with the invent of all these Zoom things, you know, the world is at your fingertips. You can attend conferences halfway across the world that you wouldn't been been able to. And so it's really, uh, you know, a great opportunity to always be learning. Got it, Julia. Julia, uh, you've been, you know, you've been doing the tutoring privately for about five years now. Uh, and, you know, it's gone through its own uh, ebbs and flows, as you said. Uh, so uh, how do you see that? You know, how does that track look to you five years down the line? What are your plans for it? Uh, I'm asking you from a point of view that, you know, are you very clear that, okay, I'm definitely going to be a full-time teacher uh, for at least a significant amount of time to come, uh, but I still want to keep the tutoring business up and alive. So how's that? Like what's running in your mind as far as that is concerned? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, don't see myself not being a teacher. Um, it's what I love doing, but I also really love tutoring and don't think I would ever stop. Um, you know, my, the number of students I see or the number of kids that I prep might ebb and flow depending on like the season of life. But I don't ever see that going away, notably because like I have a real connection to a lot of these students that I spend so much time with one on one, you know, and watching their progress over years, you know, even, you know, some families I've tutored multiple of their children, you know, all in a row, and you really kind of become part of the family and that progress and that connection is not something that I see stopping. And so I, yeah, I will probably be a full-time teacher five, 10 years down the road, but I also want to keep up the tutoring five, 10 years down the road. Got it. Your answer is pretty clear, but I wanted to kind of, you know, still um, uh, probe about, have you thought about, you know, having your own 
uh, tutoring business full time and leaving your uh, school job and then you know getting into it. has that thought come to you uh, if it did how do you go about thinking and you know what is it like do you still give that a chance okay let me see yeah no it for sure has crossed my mind several times when you know you can look and you can realize oh whoa i could probably make a lot of money doing this if I wanted to, you know, most of my students have been super successful when they take the SAT or the ACT. You know, I've had kids with perfect scores. I've had kids improve their scores by hundreds of points, like, you know, all of those things. And I'm like, well, I could really do this if I wanted to. And I think mainly there's kind of like two things that hold me back from that. One is that in the area that I live, there is a lot of competition for prep. There right. are many companies that are very successful with their prep, you know, companies. And so me starting my own in all that competition is a little nerve wracking um, to kind of, you know, give up the stability of a full time job for that. Um, and also, um, I think it would make me a little sad to not be able to do science labs with my students. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, so, you know, I, I, every so often I toy with the idea of like, ah, I could, I could start my own business. I could figure it out. Um, but those are generally kind of like the two things that I'm like, ah, that like kind of pull me back to like full-time teaching. Got it, Julia. Julia, uh, probably a couple more topics that I want to touch upon uh, now in the, in the teaching profession right uh, it's a profession where you know of course when you're in the school you've got so much of your time blocked off you're not going to be able to do anything else and then you know when you come and come back and do your private tutoring also takes away a chunk of your time right now uh, ha, you know have you ever thought about uh, oh teaching doesn't give you much personal time or, you know, for socializing and stuff like that. Uh, how is that thought, uh, you know, did you factor that in when you wanted to be a teacher uh, or are you pretty cool with the amount of socialization that you get as of now? Um, I definitely don't think I consider that at all. <laughs> um, when I became a teacher, um, it didn't really occur to me. Um, I think in some sense, I'm lucky that a really large group of my friends are also teachers. And so we tend to have kind of the same time off. Um, but for sure, I think there are times in the year that I get a little bummed that I don't have a ton of time to do things that I love doing because, you know, I'm a person like anyone else. And there are tons of things outside of teaching that I love doing. Um, I will for sure say that I work better when I have a lot of things to do. And so, you know, I don't do well with free time. <laughs> and so I, I kind of go with it as it is. It's, it's, there are definitely times I would say, especially in the winter months when there's not as much sunlight outside that I feel that a bit more than I do when there's more daylight, just because a lot of things that I like to do are outside. And so I, I get a little bit more limited in that. Um, but I try to be mindful of when I'm planning my tutoring sessions and trying to kind of chunk them into areas. So that way I still have some evenings where I'm not doing any tutoring and I can just enjoy and do other things. And so being, I, 
I call myself a Google calendar queen, uh, uh, you know, of my calendar and making sure that I'm being conscious of that when scheduling things helps me a bit with that. Got it, Julia. Um, but also you guys just realize that, uh, socializing is nothing but interacting with human beings. And as teacher, uh, you may not be like, uh, actively socializing in other forms, but when you're sitting down and teaching kids, uh, yeah, I realized it's not very far from socializing, except that your style of socializing is teaching. Yes. <laughs> uh, Julia, one other thing. Uh, now, you know, the pandemic was here. Everybody is pretty uh, used to the online style of teaching and stuff like that. I just want your opinion on this and, you know, what you think about it. Um, during the pandemic, did you think that, okay, uh, we could see schools going online completely um, and uh, things might go completely online, if not completely, at least 50% online, 50% in person. And uh, But how has it actually panned out? Now, are we in a space where we are like, uh, we are done and dusted with the pandemic and we are back to in-person activities? Or do you see a time in the future where there's going to be a parallel group of people who are going to prefer everything online? as far as the teaching and schooling is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everything has a time and a place. I personally cannot imagine teaching all the time online, especially in science. You know, I I don't know how you take science without doing science, you know? I that is, you know, I guess you could send science kits home and, you know, to do labs and things like that, but you know, it's, it's pretty challenging. Um, I think there's this, at least I felt this fatigue from like looking at a screen and concentrating on a face for that period of time is exhausting. That's not the same as, you know, sitting in next to someone and talking to them. Um, I do think that for some students, online school can be a very helpful thing for them. Um, you know, students who might be pursuing other things besides school, athletics or music or things like that. Students who might have, you know, a lot of social anxiety being in a room with those people. I think, you know, an opportunity for what if someone is sick and they still want to pay attention to class? could they zoom in and listen? You know, I think there's definitely places that as, you know, we go on that more and more of it will be integrated, but I don't personally see everybody going all computer-based education. I think, you know, we kind of have in education seen a deficit in kids that, you know, went through very instrumental parts of their years learning online. And I think that you know, hopefully coming back into person and having those interactions with people will be beneficial. My school now even has had a huge push to get phones out of the classroom. The kids have to give them in every single time they enter a classroom. And it has really changed kids in the way that they just talk to each other on a regular basis. And it's been really helpful. And so... Yeah, I think, like I said, there's a time and a place and it can certainly be great for certain people, but across the board, I don't really see that happening. Got it, Julia. Julia, uh, here's another question for you, right? Um, now, uh, you're a teacher, you know, you uh, 
knowledge isn't a problem. We've got so much to share to share with students and stuff like that. And you know that there is this entire culture in the internet where uh, people create courses, they sell the courses, and then you know they conduct programs, workshops, and all that sort of things. Um, I mean, it doesn't. Money is a consequence of it, but then you know people are doing some great job out there. Now, uh, my question to you is: as a teacher, uh, I'm sure you might have seen and thought about all of these things, but you do have a full time job and stuff like that. You know, your time is your times are packed and everything. But in the side, um, if you think about a course that you spend limited time on, but then it sells itself multiple times, uh, it seems very lucrative, right? Um, now, uh, as a teacher, what kind of support do you think uh, you can get from people around you as businesses to kind of, you know, start this parallel track? I'm assuming that you might be interested to do this. So if you're interested, what would the what is the kind of support that you'd be looking for? Or what are you lacking at this point? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I see it all the time. You know, Teachers Pay Teachers is a huge, you know, entity. And I buy things from teachers, pay teachers to help me teach all the time. There's amazing things on there. Um, and I think, you know, I've definitely thought, oh, should I just kind of package this, what I'm doing and and try to sell it? And the answer is I've thought about it a bunch, actually. And then, you know, there are a couple things that hold me back that maybe, you know, I need to think through a little bit more. One being, you know, I do worry about have I accidentally copyrighted something, you know, um, as I, as I've gone through and, and I would never want to claim someone else's work as my own if, you know, over the course I've, you know, pulled things. And so I try to be very conscious of that. And the other thing is these websites are, have so many materials in them and people aren't going to buy them unless there's reviews about them. You know, I'm not going to buy a lesson unless I see that it has five-star reviews because I don't want to spend my money on it. And so figuring out how to traction your things to be able to get those reviews um, is something that I tried to figure out and was not super successful in it. I posted something to try, you know, I even posted it for free to see if I could get, you know, people to review it and comment on it. But it's really, there are so, so many materials that unless you kind of make it your whole business, it's very hard to get stuff out there to um, teachers and to things, you know, the people that are creating these courses have a track record of doing it and you got, you know, you got to get your name in the game. And so I haven't quite figured out how to do that. Um, but it's definitely a possibility because like I said, I use those materials all the time and I know the people that are good at what they do and I look for their materials. Um, and so figuring out a way to get your materials into that, you know, list that pops up at the top, that's the key to some of those things. And, you know, if someone could figure out for me how to do that, <laughs> I'd, you know, love to do that. Got it, Julia. Thank you for sharing that. Julia, uh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, you know, thank you for candidly sharing a lot of things about your journey. And, um, what I was thinking is, you know, you said at some point uh, you'd like to have your own tutoring business. So I'm already thinking about having a part two where you're at least six months or one year into your full-time tutoring business and to get your thoughts about that. Deal. <laughs> Got it. Thank you so much, Julia. It was a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS. 
a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.